Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. Today we continue in our series on stewardship. Of course, the principle behind stewardship is the notion that you don't own anything. Everything that you have that is in your possession belongs to God. The way that Randy Alcord says it is, I am God's money manager. So God entrusts to us riches and resources and time and talents and relationships and and he expects us to steward those resources for his purposes. So the goal in stewardship is to basically answer the question, how do we avoid the danger of taking the resources that God has entrusted to us and going AWOL with them, right? Like my friend in third grade who moved away with my video game. I entrusted my resources to him and he moved away with it. But we don't want to do that to God. We want to take the resources he's entrusted to us and use them, steward them faithfully, intentionally for his purposes. We're going through the passage in Matthew chapter 6, which is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. And so far in the two uh, passages we've looked at, uh, Jesus has given us a couple of different uh, principles or rules about stewardship. First of all, in verses 19 to 21, Jesus told us that stewardship is about where we store up treasures. Where we store up treasures. We can store up treasures on earth, or we can store up treasures in heaven. And of course, he told us that the, the, the treasures that we build up and pile up for ourselves here are not going to last right? Moths will destroy them. Rust will turn it to ash. Thieves will break in and steal it from us. And so those don't last. So a good steward invests in treasures that will last. That is, he invests in eternal treasures. The second principle he told us about in verses 22 and 23 is that stewardship is about which kingdom we prioritize. Which kingdom we prioritize? Our kingdom, the little lowercase k empires we build for ourselves on this earth, or the kingdom of God? Which kingdom do we see as most important? That's where Jesus talked to us about our eye. Do we have a good eye or a bad eye? In other words, how do you view your life? How do you view the world? How do you view your possessions? Do you see your life mostly as living in the dot, right? The start and ending point of life on earth or living for the line, namely the eternal kingdom of God that we'll enjoy in heaven. And a good steward lives intentionally with eternity in view. So today Jesus is going to give us a third principle or rule regarding stewardship. And it's this, stewardship is about authority. Stewardship is about authority. And we'll find that a good steward gives allegiance only to Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn in God's Word to Matthew chapter 6. If you have a copy of the Bible, grab one and turn to Matthew chapter 6. 
And I'm going to read for you beginning in verse 19, just so we have a little context uh, from verse 19 down through verse 24. Our focus today is verse 24, but just to give us a sense of where this fits in the flow of Jesus' uh, speech here, we're going to start in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Stewardship is all about authority. It's, it answers the question, to whom will you pledge allegiance? Who do you give your allegiance to? Who is your master? Just as you can't have treasures both on earth and in heaven, just as you can't have your bodies both in light and in darkness, in the same way, we cannot serve two masters. Jesus tells us that very plainly here. It's not possible to serve both God and money. The implication is that if you're storing up treasures on earth, guess what? Your master is not God. If you're living for the dot instead of for the line, guess what? Your master is not God. Jesus speaks here of God as, as a master, which implies that our relationship to him should be that of a slave. That's the Greek doulos, which is a consistent metaphor throughout the New Testament for how Christians relate to God. Paul and Peter and the apostles often even wrote their letters uh, to, to churches identifying themselves as doulos of Jesus Christ, that is a slave of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our English translations try to soften that to bond servant or servant or something like that. But what they have in mind is the obligation to serve and give their lives for Jesus Christ. He is our master and we are his slaves, his servants. Listen to John MacArthur on this point. He says, by definition, a slave owner has total control of the slave. For a slave, there is no such thing as partial or part-time obligation to his master. He owes full-time service to a full-time master. He is owned and totally controlled by and obligated to his master. He has nothing left for anyone else. To give anything to anyone else would make his master less than master. It is not simply difficult, but absolutely impossible to serve two masters and fully or faithfully be the obedient slave of each. The Christian life is one of glad servitude to Jesus Christ. And in fact, discipleship itself is all about authority. It's all about authority in our lives. Later in this gospel, 
In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives what we now call the Great Commission, he couches it in terms of authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, that is in light of my authority over you, go make disciples. What does making disciples look like? He tells us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The commandments of Jesus and our obedience to the commands of Jesus relative to his authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, is the sum total of discipleship. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is yielding our lives more and more to the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, we speak rightly of being set free from sin. John, Jesus himself said as much in John chapter 8, where he says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if you know the truth, that is the truth about Christ and what he would accomplish, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So it's right to say that we've been set free from sin, but we should regard ourselves not as free from any servitude or any outside authority. Rather, we are free from sin and therefore free to obey Jesus Christ as our Lord, our master, our boss, our king. To state it plainly, if you aren't increasingly yielding your life, including your possessions, to the authority of Jesus Christ, then you are enslaved to a different master. You have to choose. That's what Jesus is telling us here. You can't face two directions at the same time. You can't honor two masters. You can't serve two different masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other one, right? I'll give all my time and attention and energy to the one and think little of the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Despise there doesn't mean hate, like I'll hate the other master. It just means I'll regard it as nothing, not consider it worthy. That's the same way that uh, that word is used in Hebrews 12, where it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. That doesn't mean he really didn't like the shame. What it means is he regarded the shame as not worthy of of uh, worrying about because the joy in front of him was so much greater, right? So you'll either be devoted to the one or you'll regard the other as not, uh, and regard the other as not worthy of your time and energy, right? So you have to choose, just as throughout this passage, you have to choose whether you're storing up treasures on earth or in heaven. You have to choose whether you're going to live for the dot or for the line. And in the same way, you, you have to choose to either serve God or serve money. You're either serving God or you're enslaved to money. Jesus lays down an all or nothing line in the sand here for us to cross. He's like Will from Oklahoma, the old musical, where he's saying to Ado Annie, with me, it's all or nothing. It can't be in between. It can't be now and then. No half and half romance will do, right? That's what Jesus is saying here in a nutshell. If you're going to serve me, you're going to serve me completely. You must belong to me all the way or you don't belong to me at all. 
you can't serve two masters. There's a truth underlying most of what Jesus says in this passage and what we find elsewhere in the New Testament that I think it's worth pausing to consider, and it's this. Money is dangerous. Money's dangerous. Now, money's not evil. Money itself is amoral, right? It's, it's neutral. It's not morally good. It's not morally bad. It's just a tool, right? So money is not a bad thing. But like any tool, in the hands of someone with an evil, fallen heart, it can be twisted and used for evil. And the New Testament warns us repeatedly that our sinful hearts have an enormous amount of potential for taking the good, the money that God has entrusted to us, and twisting it and using it for evil, selfish purposes. That's why Paul has such strong words of warning regarding money in 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to that passage. Uh, I'll spend just a, a few minutes there. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul is writing to one of his sort of ministry uh, protege, right? So uh, a guy that he's discipled and, and uh, commissioned into pastoral ministry. And so he's writing to Timothy about how to conduct life in the church, how to shepherd people, etc. And toward the end of this letter, he writes specifically about riches and about how to shepherd people who are wealthy, who have a lot of money. So look at 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 9. It says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Just the desire to be rich plunges people into ruin because you're willing to do anything that it takes to get more, right? You're willing to make compromises and sacrifices that you have no business making because I love money, right? I must get more money. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. One of those classic misquoted verses, people will often say, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Well, no, that's not what it says. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says all kinds of evil, like all manner of evils are uh, used and perpetrated through money. But even then, it's not that money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, the heart that is bent on money at all costs, the heart that is so desirous of money and getting more money and hoarding more money and securing more wealth and possessions for himself is in great danger. Listen to what he says next. It is through this craving, that is the desire to be rich, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen, some have even rejected Jesus Christ and turned away from their faith because they were in love with money. Riches are fraught with danger. Danger of trusting in wealth instead of trusting God. Danger of loving ourselves more than we love God. The danger of investing in our little kingdoms 
more than in God's kingdom. That was the problem with the rich young man in Mark chapter 10. You remember he came to Jesus and he said, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, oh, I've done all that since my youth. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And was the rich man willing to do it? Nope. It says he went away sad for he had many possessions. He was not willing to part with his stuff because he loved himself and his riches too much to follow Jesus. And look at what Jesus said when he turned to his disciples after the man walked away. He said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he said it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Why? Why is a rich man in such danger? Because he's placed himself in the pathway of constant temptation. Right? There's always money there and the ability to get more of it. And the desire for riches is itself corrupting to a human heart. Being rich isn't evil. It's not bad, but it's dangerous. I think it takes an extra level, an extra measure of faith and of God's grace to stay pure-hearted and seeking the kingdom first in the midst of it. So, so the way that Paul exhorts the rich in this passage, uh, look down at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that is, to think that they're better than others, right? We all know that people with a lot of money can tend to look down their nose at those with less, right? Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So don't trust in your riches, trust in God. If you have a lot of money, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you're okay because you have money. Your source of hope and strength and confidence should be God and God alone. Well, so how do you do that, right? He says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So how do you trust in God and not your riches? Give your money away. Look at verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Give your money away. Show that you trust God by giving it away, by being generous. Spend your money on the kingdom of God, not just on kindness and meeting other people's needs, which is good, but on explicit gospel ministries and church planting and kingdom expanding work around the world. Support a missionary, right? Give your money to a local church where you're participating. Use your money to further God's kingdom, be generous. That's how you keep your heart trusting on God and not trusting in riches. Well, for those who maybe have a bit less, wouldn't count themselves as rich, so to speak, the exhortations might be a bit different. It might be, don't be afraid 
Don't be anxious about the future. Trust in God. It might be, don't be covetous. Don't be greedy, right? Devising ways to get more, always looking at what someone else has. Be content with what you have. Just like Paul said earlier in this passage, godliness with contentment is great gain. Be satisfied with what the Lord has given you. Be thankful. So, Jesus talks to us about not being enslaved to money and how God should be our only master. Our allegiance should be given only to Jesus Christ. So most of you are probably thinking, well, I'm not really enslaved to money, right? I, you know, I, I don't think I'm craving riches and greedy. I don't really think that's, that's me. So let me put it this way and kind of flesh out what enslavement to money might look like. This is a way of evaluating your own heart and your own life and answering the question, am I serving God as my master or am I maybe enslaved to riches? So here are a few possible ways that enslavement to money might express itself in your life. First, it might look like an uncontrollable desire for more stuff right? Just need more things. Maybe you're not thinking in terms of dollars and cents, but it's new furniture or new cars or a bigger house or nicer clothes or whatever it is, right? The, 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 the uncontrollable urge to get more stuff. If that is you, you just might be enslaved to money. The exhortation for you would be, it's not worth it. It won't last. All the stuff that you're feverishly pursuing will end up in a trash heap. Or it will be forcibly removed from you, like Jesus said. The kingdom of God is better, and it's eternal, and it is worthy of your investment. Not the fleeting stuff of earth. Maybe enslavement to riches looks like an inordinate amount of time and money spent on entertainment. We all know that is an enormous industry in our day. And endless hours and dollars are spent on the creation and consumption of entertainment. It's wasteful. I'm not saying entertainment is bad in itself. We all seek to be entertained from time to time and there's a place for recreation and things like that. But if you are spending an inordinate amount of time and money, an unreasonable amount of time and money on being entertained and being entertained better, then you might need to hear and be reminded that Jesus is infinitely better. His word is infinitely richer. His glory infinitely more fulfilling than the latest movie, TV series, video game, or rock band, or whatever it is that you're pursuing for entertainment. Maybe your enslavement to riches looks like how much time and energy and money you spend on being entertained. Maybe your enslavement to riches looks like fear of financial catastrophe, right? Always imagining the worst possible scenario and feverishly tucking money away into savings accounts and investments and putting away all that you can because you fear the bottom falling out. 
The exhortation for you is trust God. Don't trust yourself, your wisdom, your thrift, your resourcefulness. Rest in God's ability to care for you. You'll get a whole sermon on this next week. The next, the last verses of this passage are all about trusting God to take care of you. So you'll get to hear a lot more about this. But maybe enslavement to riches looks like that. Just fear of the worst case scenario. Or maybe enslavement to money looks like apathy, spiritual lethargy, right? Maybe it doesn't look like anything crazy at all. Like you're not, you're not after something weird or whatever, obviously involved in some inappropriate pursuit. Maybe you just look like everyone else in the world around you. If there's no discernible difference between you and your schedule, your relationships, your words, your finances, between you and the unbelievers in your workplace, neighborhood, and family, you might just be serving the wrong master. If that's you, repent. Confess your sin and turn to Jesus in faith. Friends, Jesus forgives. Jesus cleanses. Jesus heals. John Calvin said, Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Discipleship is all about authority, remember? It's all about yielding our lives increasingly to the authority of King Jesus, giving him more and more control over our lives and our thoughts and our emotions and our relationships and our money, our resources. Friends, Jesus Christ laid down his life on a sinner's cross, and he took it up again so that he could take his rightful place as king. King over the universe, yeah, but also over you, over your life. So take stock of yourself. Examine your heart. Evaluate your patterns of spending, thinking, speaking, and giving. If you find evidence there of enslavement to money, repent. Trust Christ for forgiveness. He promises us in his word in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, Jesus will give you a new heart with new desires. If you'll bring your heart with its twisted, warped, selfish cravings to him, in repentance and faith, you will be amazed as you watch him transform your heart over time into a heart that longs for him and his kingdom and his glory and names Jesus as your master. And remember, he's not a hard master. He's the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Let's pray.